Is there a library or bookstore around here where I can get books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hey folks, Christian Swain here. I'd like to talk a bit about our project and about you. The Rock and Roll Archaeology Project is currently four podcasts. Our main show, we think of it as a Rock and Roll 101, we will eventually do about 30 of these scripted, carefully researched audio documentaries. And we have the Rock and Roll Librarian, where Shelley Sorensen and I have lively fun discussions about books that rock. The discussions continue with Rock Talk, a weekly survey of rock and roll news with my co-host, Peter Ferrioli. And we just rolled out Deeper Digs in Rock, single topic shows, interviews, and field trips. All we want to do now is more of it more often. And that's where you come in. Our shows will always be free. That's our promise to you. If you truly enjoy it, if you can't wait for that next episode, well, won't you please make a modest monthly donation via Patreon. Just click the Patreon link right at the top of our webpage, rockandrollarchaeology.com, and take it from there. Thank you, and keep up the rockin'. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian. With me, as always, is Shelly Sorensen. Shelly! How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Are you really doing good? I'm pretty good, actually. It's a good for kind of a rainy Sunday here in the Bay Area. It's huh? definitely a rainy Sunday, but I got my beer and I'm sitting on a nice comfy couch and ready to go. Yeah, that's the uh, Rock and Roll Archaeology Project's home studios <laughs> where we have a really nice couch for anybody to come and sit in. <laughs> you like that, right? Yep, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really nice couch, It is everybody. a nice couch. In case you were all wondering. <laughs> anyway, all right, enough of the chit you want chat. to picture what the rock and roll librarian is doing right now. She's right. sitting on a leather couch. I guess we should put a picture up of this uh, on our Facebook site or our social media or something like that so people can see more that we can get some more interviews. We, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot of interviews recently. We've got... Uh, we had Gary Wright here a couple of weeks ago. We uh, talked to Jimmy Blue of Kiss the Sky, Jimi Hendrix tribute band. There's a Deeper Digs that'll be coming out in November on that. I've got Chris Formant, uh, who wrote Bright Midnight, who's a Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame board member, coming up here this week. So we're doing lots of interviews on the uh, on the, the Deeper Digs thing. Yeah, I enjoyed the Gary Wright interview. It was incredibly interesting. Yeah, it really was. Uh, he is a really, really neat, interesting guy. Done a lot more than one would think. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I'd heard of him and I know this song Dreamweaver, but I had no idea how involved he was uh, with different musicians and playing on, you know, being the go-to guy for the synthesizer on all those different albums that yeah. he played on. That yeah, was such really a pioneer cool. on the, the synth side of things. That was the real intriguing thing for me. Yeah, I never so. thought about that. <laughs> Well, anyway, what do we got this week? What are we going to talk about? What's the book in store for our fans? The book is Nothing Else Matters, Metallica, the graphic novel. Wow, Shelly, we're going thrash metal today? That's awesome. <laughs> we are. We are. We are stretching. Yeah, I'd stretching. say you're stretching. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, let's play Metallica's biggest hit of all time. I think everyone knows this song, Enter Sandman. Say your prayers Everyone, I talk you 
Oh, man, I love that song. It's a pretty good one. I like it, too. Uh, I've played it. <laughs> I have played that song. Oh, yeah. you've, oh, actually No, I mean it. actually played it. Not yeah, like yeah. I played it on the stereo. I've played it actually live. Oh. Yes, yeah, yeah. A long oh. time ago when it was brand new. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, my, one of my, my kind of sort of metal-ish bands uh, played that. Uh, always a big hit. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah. That would have been fun. Do you have it on uh, recording somewhere? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, all I have is the original stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Tell everybody about the graphic novel. Uh, Who wrote it? It was a collaboration between Jim McCarthy, who wrote the text, and Brian Williamson, who illustrated it. And apparently they've done... They've done a couple of these rock graphic novels, They have. And actually, separately also, they've both each worked on other graphic novels. And they've done a couple other ones about bands one one about the Ramones actually so if you like graphic novels and you want to read about bands you should check these guys out uh very cool yeah yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we've never kind of uh, reviewed a graphic novel before no. what, what do you think of the uh, format well it's pretty cool I'm not a veteran graphic novel reader so sometimes, no not your thing huh no sometimes I get a little confused about where I'm supposed to go next because I'm I'm very linear you know not so much pictorial well, did, did you read comic books when you were a kid uh, yeah you know Archie and Veronica yeah. Archie and <laughs> yeah. that, those kind of comic books well, it's, it's not too dissimilar from that <laughs> no but you know anyway I thought it worked well for this band since they're so kind of big you know kind of larger than life and they had a very dramatic history oh yeah so, they're, they're probably the biggest heavy metal band in the world yeah and you know the, the graphic novel form is cool because it's like it's between a book and a movie so it's told yeah. in kind of a script format like and you get the visuals and you get you know interesting kind of a different way to read and a different way to get information you get information through pictures as well as the text Uh so you know i think it it works for telling this kind of story cool well let's get into it so uh, how does it start well you know it it has a an interesting start that i didn't quite get right away there's a big huge baseball in outer space and and you think that they're talking about the band but um the text is really talking about Mariano oh, Rivera. Rivera. Yeah, who yeah, was, yeah. Uh, the New York Yankees uh, closer in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently. His walk on song was uh, Enter Sandman. Yeah. Enter Sandman. So they kind of tie in his success and using their song to to kind of the beginning of the story and how at that time that Mariano Rivera was uh, just reaching his heights, I believe that Metallica was pretty much just reaching their heights as well. So yeah, yeah, kind of, 1990, 91, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's an interesting way to start the book. And then it goes into Dave Mustaine, who was the original lead guitar player. Yes, he was. Reflecting on his history in the band. Yeah, now with Megadeth. That's right. And he he was only with Metallica, I guess, for a year or two or something Uh, like that. Yeah, about about a year or so. Uh, Actually, I think he had two stints, if I remember right. Uh, He, you know, was early on in alcohol, drugs, bad blood you know they kicked him out and uh, and if i remember right i think he came back for a bit and uh, and i know finally they just kind of basically bought him a bus ticket uh, out on the road and said <laughs> I know. here you go have a nice life 
That's and, really cold. Uh, they kind of let him go at that point. <laughs> actually, the guy that wrote the introduction to the book actually calls that out as like, admittedly, on in hindsight, that was uh, a little bit cold. Not the coolest thing to do, uh, <laughs> but... You know, from from the accounts that that I have read over the years, uh, he kind of deserved it, and I think even he admits that uh, that he kind of deserved just getting the boot. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he sounds like he was not a happy drunk. Yeah. Well, he did he did write their first song that I think ended up on a compilation and. And they, they did include it on Kill 'Em All, which he didn't play on, but I'm pretty sure the song, I think he wrote that song. So let's play that. Okay. It's called Hit the Lights. How's that for a metal song? Huh? It sounds kind of punky. It has a lot of a punk energy to it. That's yeah. part of the thrash thing is, uh, you know, some of the the playing ability of the, the metal guys, but that energy and uh, construct of the, the punkers. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. All right. So Dave Mustaine uh, gets handed a... Uh, uh, a bus ticket and that kind of starts the the thing well first the Mario and Rivera bit but then right, uh, right. then uh, Mustaine uh, so the formation of the band's really interesting uh, you know everybody thinks of them as a Bay Area band but they originate in Los Angeles that's right in Orange County oh even worse yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you would know. Yes, I I lived in both. I know them very well. Yes. <laughs> well, what happened was. Um, James and Ron, who was the James uh, oh, Headfield and Ron McGovney. McGorney, yeah. McGorney. He was the original bass he player. He was the original bass player. They had been playing around, you know, like jamming together. And uh, they saw an ad in the Recycler posted by Lars Ulrich. Ulrich. Yeah, Thank the, you. Old, the, yeah the, the Dane, yes. Yeah, yeah the Recycler. Uh, I would go through those ads myself. That and the Music Connection were the two primary sources of trying to find people in bands at the time. And now you can do it online. <laughs> yeah, now it's Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, there's, yeah. but yeah. same, same, same uh, process, same though. You know, yeah. uh, put an ad in and hope that uh, you attracted uh, quality people or uh, somebody thought that your ad was interesting enough to, right. uh, or to li- get a hold of you. And like-minded, too. Yeah, that very, yeah, yeah. So what Lars said in his recycler ad was, influences tigers of Pantang, Diamond Head, oh, and course, Iron Diamond Maiden. Head, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. that was the thing that caught James and Ron's eye. Yeah, the early uh, British uh, new wave of metal uh, bands uh, right there. Late 70s, uh, very early 80s. Probably Iron Maiden, the most famous of, of those guys. Diamond Head. Diamond Head is a big... Big influence. Uh, for, for Lars, yeah. Yeah, and he, um, he came over and played with them and they thought he sucked, actually. They kind of put him on his way 
after he came and played drums with them. They didn't like him very much. So Yeah, Lars is, uh, had to work hard to get his chops. Some people do. He wasn't natural, but uh, I know people still give him a hard time as a, as a drummer. But uh, hey, look, you know what? It, it's still, uh, he's in the biggest metal band in the world. He sounds pretty good to me. Right. Yeah, he uh, had a musical family. Uh, his dad was a jazz musician and encouraged him, you know, to play and to kind of play outside the box. Yeah. So he went he went over to UK after that didn't work out for him in Orange County and and lo and behold, he got to spend the whole summer with Diamond Head, his idols. His idols, right. Yeah. Right. What I mean, how many how do, how does that happen? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, we, we we had friends in the music world. Uh, you know, you bring people in, they'd stay on the couch, you'd stay on the couch. You know, the, the, these guys were all of like mind, and uh, it probably was just one of those things that, you know, when your guys in your 20s, you know, uh, oh, hey, all right. Uh, That's yeah, right. Go, you, go, you can stay on this couch here. Yeah, pro- probably Diamond Head wasn't so, I mean, it wasn't like um, no, they, they were weren't. so unreachable either. No, I mean, no, they were no. at that point closer to their fans than, you know, you might think of a big band as being yeah, they a little bit they, more removed. And they never ended up being like the Rolling Stones or anything like that. So no. uh, certainly not. He also got to uh, hang out with Lemmy of Motorhead while oh, he was there. Oh, everybody loves Lemmy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I haven't ever read anything bad about him. No, you know? no. Like he's just a big He's he just a big, lovable guy. Lovable he, guy I, who I was only music, yeah. rock and roll. Like yep. I think Chrissy Hines said after he died, he was the epitome of rock and roll. Uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. He, he just he lived, lived and life, breathed it. Yeah, yeah, he lived life 110% that way until the day he died. All right, so uh, let's get them uh, out of Los Angeles. I th- I, I'm pretty sure I know how that happened, but uh, I know I wanted to get out of Los Angeles at <laughs> uh, that me time. Me too. Yeah, so what, what do you think drove them out of L.A.? Well, I think they were getting sick of the uh, hair metal uh, kind of yes, hair, hair the spray. antithesis to the music they play. Yeah. Well, what happened was Lars came back to Orange County and he met somebody who uh, owned a record label called Metal Blade. His name was Brian Slagle. Oh, yeah. And Slagle. he mm-hmm. told Lars that he was putting out a compilation CD, a metal compilation CD. And Lars lied and said, oh, I have a great song I want to put on that CD. But of course he didn't. He didn't even have a band, let alone a song. Many great ideas, concepts, businesses, organizations <laughs> come from that exact moment when you say, yeah, I got that. And then you run hastily back and, and try to figure out how to do it. So so basically what he did That's was- That's another he re- one of those things when the door opens. Yeah. He, he remembered these guys that he had tried to play with who were James, oh, yeah. uh, Hetfield, and Ron. And um, got back in touch with them and said, okay, come on, we got a chance to be on an album. We got to get it together and do this. And then they got Dave Mustaine in in with them too. Yeah, so they they auditioned him. They finally, they had four people. They had a song. I don't recall where the song came from, but I think Dave Dave and James uh, co-wrote it. And so... They got that song on to the CD called Metal Massacre, right. which was the compilation. But they spelled their name wrong on the CD. Oh, they spelled it wasn't, the name uh, Metallica. Oh, really? Well, it has to do with either there were too many, too few L's or <laughs> too many T's or something like that. Uh, yeah. 
So they, you know, started rehearsing really seriously. And, you know, one one example of how the graphic novel format works really for this um, book is it basically shows a picture that's shown of the four of them rehearsing in the garage is basically a, a bomb exploding oh, a out of the top bomb. of the right, right, yeah, out right. of the top of the roof. So showing, you know, they just played really loud and well it's rather aggressive music aggressive yes that was the word i was looking for yeah yeah um so they had their first gig in anaheim in 1982 but dave mustaine broke a string and since they were so very new uh they didn't have any roadies or anybody helping them and so he he had had to restring his guitar yeah that took 10 minutes i'm sure yeah and that apparently the review probably had a floating floyd rose uh, floating uh bridge and uh that probably took extra time oh my god i can imagine that in 1982 (laughs) so the 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 way they got to the bay area is that their bass player left, Ron McGovney, and um, uh, it sounds like he was kind of like encouraged to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a mutual thing. Yeah, I think uh, there was one uh, one story about Dave Mustaine pouring beer on his bass and his amp <laughs> right before a gig and shocking him. Don't so forget about that bus ticket now. He, he, were, he felt as though he were not wanted. Uh, he deserved that bus yeah. ticket, let me tell you. And so they... You know, again, they auditioned and they found the great Cliff Burton. Oh, yeah. Who was with them for a few years and he was a Bay Area resident. I think he demanded that they leave L.A. and move to the Bay Area, if I remember right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if he demanded, but it was because of him. that yeah. they, And they were ready to leave L.A. and he already was established in... Um, I wish I left L.A. at that Ca- time. They, they had the right idea. Right. I left uh, when I was 18 uh, and never looked well, back. Well, you know, I, I got stuck around on that strip through the, the 80s. I was a little bit later. I was later 80s, or very, very early 90s. And, uh, you know, it just, um, it was fun and all, but boy, I, I probably could have done a lot better in the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. Different style of music, different acceptance to uh, things that were different as opposed to everybody trying to do exactly the same thing. I don't know. I don't want to slam LA too much, but you know, I I mean, that's the way I felt as a young woman, you know, I just just wanted to be myself and not have to worry about, you know, appearances and what, you know, what everybody else was doing. So it was quite a relief to move to the Bay Area. So, So, okay. So the core of the band now, so we have Mustaine who's still on guitar, Cliff Burton on bass, Lars Ulrich on drums and James Hetfeld on rhythm guitar and vocals. That's right. And they, uh, Cliff lived in Castro Valley and the other guys settled down in El Cerrito. Right, right, right. So they, not a San Francisco band perhaps, but a Bay Area band. Right, right. All right. And then what happens? Well, in this book, we have basically a chronological kind of arc, but we have a lot of, a lot of flashbacks. So we get Mustaine's point of view. He reminisces about uh, growing up in Newport Beach and having uh, a really difficult childhood. Actually, he was born Jewish, but his father was Jehovah's Witness and quite a, a drinker and, you know, physically abused him. One really... Wow, not uh, a good Jew or a Jehovah's Witness. No, and one, you know, a graphic 
in the book that really tells his story in a picture tells a thousand words kind of way is with his father basically having him in a headlock with a basically, you know, a wrench on his ear telling him, you know, what he did wrong and the poor kid going, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. You know, Uh. so he had a real you know, kind of abusive childhood with Mm. his dad. Now I know where all those dark lyrics come from. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, coincidentally, I don't, maybe not so coincidentally, but James Hetfield, his parents were Christian scientists. So it's kind of interesting, I think, to me that these people from these kind of, oh, you know, not mainstream religions, but very, very... Wait a minute. uh, I I thought James Hetfield was 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 Jehovah's Witness. No, Christian Science. Oh, who was Jehovah's Witness? Mustaine's is Jehovah's Witness. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So it's just interesting, you know, because they have this, all this kind of- Too much religion to keep up with there, folks. Imagery, like religious or anti-religious imagery in some of their songs, so- Well, you know, there's all that preaching of, uh, you know, if you don't do this, this is what you get. Right. So, uh, you know, they, they try to scare the- hell out of you, I guess. And, and sometimes it fascinates people. Right. I think it's maybe scared the hell into them instead of out <laughs> right, of them. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> sometimes, right, right. you know, it has a religion has an, an opposite effect, All I right. think. So they're in the Bay. Yep. Uh, and of course, we've already talked about that, uh, that Dave Mustaine is gone. And then what happens? Who replaces him? Oh, he, um, somebody it's another named Bay Area kid, right? Kirk Hammett. Yeah, Kirk yeah. Hammett. Yeah. Yeah, he was already in a band um, in Exodus. Yeah. So they had already heard him play. So they knew that, uh, you know, what, that his, he had the goods. Yeah. what his level was. Oh, yeah. And also he was, you know, a, a Metallica fan. So after they fired James, they asked him to join. No, and, they uh, fired Dave. Uh, I'm sorry. Not James. Dave. Right. In uh, 1983. Right. They were in New York trying to record. Actually, they were recording their first album when they fired yeah, Dave all, in right. New York City. Yep, yep. And that's, that's where the bus they, ticket comes from. Yeah, right. that's where they gave him the bus ticket and said, get out of here. But then they needed to find somebody to fill his shoes so they could finish recording. So he flew to New York City for the audition and then they had the band in place and they started clicking and yeah, this uh, is the classic lineup. Could finish recording their first album, which was originally titled Metal Up Your Ass. Oh, I don't remember that album. <laughs> no, because then they re- had to rename it because the yes, music business would not let them uh, use that. So they, they switched it to the, the very much more nice and kind of flowery <laughs> title of Kill 'em All. Yeah, which I think is funny. Well, uh, <laughs> it's like, well, let me just substitute this title with this title. <laughs> okay, that one seems to work, boys. That's fine. Uh, all right, let's play a cut from uh, Kill 'Em All, the the Metallica first real album uh, with the classic lineup of Kirk Hammett, Cliff Burton, Lars Ulrich, and James Hetfield. I'm going to go with Zeke and Destroy. <laughs> Yeah. Seek and 
All right, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, I I think I've I forgot my disclaimer. I, I'm not really a, a big Metallica fan, so. Well, I see lots of emails coming your I, way. I appreciate their musicianship and everything. I just aesthetically not. Not your gonna, thing. No, and you know what? I had an aha moment when you, because um, I was here, I was in the Bay Area yeah, in the eighties. It's, it's and, quite the testosterone. Yeah, you know, and you said, music. oh, they're, you know, they never write about, they never sing about love or sex <laughs> no. or romance or anything. And I'm, no I went, to this. oh well, no wonder I wasn't into them. I need a little, a little, a little loving in oh, my music. All yeah. right, well, you know, but you still appreciate them oh. as players oh, and yeah, yeah. what they've accomplished. Oh, definitely. And not just what they've accomplished, but yeah, definitely. I can listen to them and think, wow, that's amazing what they're doing. You know, it's not something I put on on purpose, but this is a You big- say that now. Wait till the next time you get rage and pissed off and, uh, you know, you'll probably throw some Metallica on uh, when you're in uh, deep oh, traffic. That's a good That's the idea. best time to play them, yeah. No, maybe after I've had an argument with one of my teenage sons. There you go. Just yeah. turn it to 11 and uh, let them this deal. This is what I think about you. <laughs> yeah, that all sounds right. good. <laughs> Let's get back to the story. All right. Okay, so Kill em All, all right. uh, is out and these guys begin to really work their butts off they uh tour and tour and tour ladies and gentlemen boys and girls if you are interested in uh you know going out there and making a career in music follow what these guys did because i mean they they spent i think like the next 10 years literally on the road yeah it sounds like they they were just playing and touring kind of constantly (laughs) and drinking yeah lots of playing lots of drinking they were they were a well-known drinking band and what the book says is that every crazy fantasy about heavy metal and being on the road were acted out so they had the whole shebang of the drugs drugs drink and groupies but it also gives great um nods to cliff Burton and his bass playing style that he had a really a new a new way of playing the bass. I, I believe that one of the we things threw that, a wah wah pedal. That, in yeah, was the wah wah pedal yeah. on the Rickenbacker bass that was yeah a the really, Ricky too yeah it was almost lead uh, lead bass uh, sounds yeah and that was that was apparently a new kind of a you know breakout a different a different way of playing the bass that influenced other bass players. So they went to Europe, recorded, um, I mean, toured. Ride the Lightning. Uh, and, they recorded Ride the Lightning in uh, That's right. They, in, they recorded in their next couple right. albums very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. Yeah. And that went, Ride the Lightning uh, was their second album, which hit 100 on the Billboard chart. Well, so. let's play a little of Ride the Lightning. Okay. Listening to that song reminded me of how popular Metallica was in the Iraq invasion, Iraq right. and Afghanistan. The the soldiers love 
Metallica. And you can kind of see why, huh? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, man. That is some aggressive stuff there. Yeah, talk about testosterone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then some. All right. Yeah. So there's many good songs. Ride the Lightning's my favorite uh, Metallica oh, is that album. Right? Yeah. I'll figure out a way to play at least one more before we get to uh, we move on. But. Uh, okay, so they're recording this, they're touring all over the place, and and then uh, what goes on? Well, they actually uh, put out their next album, Master of Puppets, quite soon after that. I love the graphic in the book, which is uh, the marionettes with the X'd out eyes showing, you know, they're uh, just kind of depicting the title of the album, Master of Puppets. And that one went platinum and made them into a really influential and important band. Yeah. Yeah. That's the album that really makes them into a, you know, household name for any rocker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's play Master of Puppets. I could play more than like 30 some odd seconds of these songs. I mean, all these songs are like, you know, five, seven, eight minutes long. Ten. <laughs> no, no, well, yeah, I guess one is it stretches about nine, but but uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's not a full side of an album, uh, but there are some long songs and, you know, it's it's lots of movements, uh, you know, it's you know very well thought out mm-hmm. and, and, and put together and it's there's a lot going on. So you can't really get a flavor with only playing a few seconds of the, of the song. So Everybody right. go out there if you're even <laughs> remotely interested in Metallica and download some of these great songs. Yeah, it, it, it kind of when you said that about the movements, I was thinking, yeah, it's more like classical music in a way. You know, they there's in the life of the song, there's a lot of changes that happen that make up the whole thing. Yeah. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I think I know where we're going to go here. You know, after uh, the early success of Kill 'em All, Ride the Lightning, Masters of Puppets, three uh, great albums. These guys are getting better and better. They are touring all over the world. They've become a household name to uh, to any rocker out there. Right. And then disaster strikes. That's right. So and tell us about what happened there. Well, they went to Sweden, you know, to tour behind their last album in uh, 1986. And they were on a a bus early, early in the morning uh, in very bad weather, black ice on the road. Actually, the night before, they had drawn cards to see who would take which bunk. And 
Cliff Burton won the draw and he got to pick the bunk that he wanted to sleep in and there was a horrible accident and the bus turned over and he was pinned under the bus and killed. Yeah, instantly, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, this is one way, uh, another way the graphic novel format works really well because there's panel after panel showing the, you know, you really feel what it would have been like to be there at the time rather than just reading about it. So you're kind of getting a, a, a visual real, at yeah, the same real, time. It's not just in your your head, you know, you're getting this, uh, like you said, a little bit of a of a movie at right. the same time as yeah. the, as the words are being spilled across the the page there. <laughs> that was a, a rough moment. Uh, I remember reading about it in uh, well, one of the rock magazines, I think Music Connection. It was, uh, you know, that's a tough thing for a band to be able to come after. I mean, Burton was kind of like the heart in a lot of ways of musically of the band. I mean, he, he was probably the most educated musician and if i remember right he was a little bit older than the other guys too Mm -hmm. and to lose him at at that moment just as they are about to turn into you know a a worldwide uh, success not just you know on every rocker's uh, household name but on on just household name in general right that's that's kind of rough so yeah it sounds like he he was so important to the band at that time and that when his death was a real loss for them and they almost broke up over it i mean they almost didn't continue because it was just hard to imagine you know how they would do that without him yeah yeah um, but one of the things uh that that they did was basically just dealt with it by drinking, uh, having angry gigs and lots of sex, you know, just kind of externalizing the the pain of the whole thing and not really dealing with it, you know, very, in a way that would be helpful to them. But um, I suppose if, if angry music is, is a good thing, then, then maybe it was, uh, it, it did add something to some of their gigs. Well, but- there was definitely a reality uh, to it. It wasn't just fantastical now. Right, yeah. right. Well, let's play, again, Ride the Lightning's my favorite album, so I'm going to go back and play Fade to Black. I think that's the perfect song to think about Cliff Burton on. Yeah, I can see what you're saying about though, like playing the first few, you know, thirty seconds to a minute of yeah, one of their songs because you, you can't get you don't like, really get the full feel. Yeah, they, of the, song. The, the intros are long and then goes into a whole different thing after that. And, well, it usually has a couple of different movements. Yeah, yeah. So and it uh, yeah. it, it can even get uh, even more complicated as we move forward, uh, especially when the Justice for All stuff. 
So now they don't have a bass player anymore. No, no. So they went back to square one. I think yeah. they, they auditioned a whole bunch of people. They did. They auditioned a lot of people for for bass player. And they finally found Jason Newstead, who was playing with a band called Flotsam, Flotsam and Jetsam. Yep. And he was a huge, huge Metallica fan and knew all of their music. So he was a shoe in <laughs> They loved him and celebrated with a mammoth drinking session. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, relationship. I know later on it gets uh, complicated. They kind of hired him as a, as a hired gun. He wasn't really a full member of Metallica. And I know the guys of Metallica have kind of come back and said that probably wasn't the, the, the best situation. But, you know, I'm sure management and everything, it's kind of saying, hey, well, you know, let's see if this guy works out right. and all of that. I'm so. sure there was a lot of pressure too i mean you you know they're going on to record a new album they you know need to keep touring they need to keep the money coming in uh so yeah they had well to, by to now sign. everybody knows who metallic is i mean uh you know uh, the cliff burton death kind of you know these guys were on the rise as it was but the the news of that you know pretty much hit anybody who knew anything about rock and roll and made you kind of go oh, oh, oh really wow that's a horrible thing what, who are these guys yeah. if you didn't know already right uh and you know they had the goods so you went and listened to the records and you know were astounded by mm-hmm. uh, by what you heard so now they're just getting ready to to hit it big time it was just it was a horrible event you know i'm i'm sure cliff burton would have enjoyed all of the success that they received had he survived and stayed with the band to this day but you know that didn't happen jason newstead came in uh, and they recorded their next album which really is the the first album that that they then go into the arena world and start headlining arenas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that album is called and justice for all. That's right. That's right. They, uh, you know, of course, uh, bands like this were, you know, verboten on uh, on the you know star making MTV at the time. And why was that? Be- just because they were too kind of yeah, I don't know, didn't like, fit the profile for a lot of reasons. Long songs, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the the feel that they were underground, which you know you would think if you you know are supposed to be some uh, tastemaker, you would be looking to the underground to mm-hmm. uh, expose. And, and to MTV's credit, they did later on create shows like 120 Minutes and their metal show that um, you know that did kind of uh, uh, expose some of these underground bands later on. So. Mm-hmm. So, they, you know, mm-hmm. that was fine. But they did get their big break and they did do a uh, a full length uh, video, a very, very interesting uh, video for the the quote unquote single, an eight minute song single <laughs> called One. Yeah. So let's play that. Okay. Let me win. 
again, talk about not being able to get a feel for a song. There, there are several movements in this song that if you don't hear the whole thing, you're just not going to quite get what it's about. So Yeah. Um, but um, a very interesting video, too. Uh, it was a, a lot of cuts from a, from a movie called uh, Johnny Got Your Gun. Uh, oh, about I some... remember seeing that and reading that book in high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. about about a, an invalid who literally, you know, it's, it's kind of like Tommy. You know, you can't hear, you can't see. All he can do is move his head in Morse code to communicate with people. And, and he's a veteran, and, right? Well, I yeah, mean, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he, he got damaged in the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got shot or, or messed up in the war and uh, all he wants to do is die. Yeah, apparently quite a few of the songs on that album are influenced by the news uh, topical album that he says they uh, watch CNN and there was the Iran-Contra situation, crack cocaine was becoming big, there was, you know, war around the world. So they used all that background for uh, inspiration for their songs on this album. Yeah, a real feedback loop of the, you know, what we try to talk about in the, the rock culture. and roll archaeology project is the the culture influencing great art and art commenting on the on the culture itself and you know here's a perfect example of that yeah yeah apparently they were getting uh, just getting crazier and crazier too with their lifestyle toke smoke this is coke (laughs) toke smoke coke Toke smoke. Yeah, so so were many of us at the time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I know all about that. Yeah, that yeah. was the eighties. Yeah, it, yeah. Let's just blame it on that. It was yeah. the eighties. You know? <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It <laughs> yeah, was the eighties. Yeah. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> Oh man! So all right, so they make that, yeah. and now, like I said, now they're 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 a well-known band. They are, but they still haven't nope. broken through to mainstream. No, nope, they haven't nope. broken mainstream yet. So the next album, though, yeah. is that's you know this is this is their. Uh, their apogee of of hitting it big so that was an expensive album to make this next album called metallica yeah the black album most AKA people say the black yeah. album so just around that time thank god hair metal had pretty much died uh-huh. and i gotta give being in la and seeing some of this guns and roses gets a big huge bit of that credit they literally took a buzzsaw to it pretty quickly the, between them and nirvana that entire class of music died overnight and uh you know and god rest its soul um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know well you know we'll get into that at a later date my <laughs> love or dislike for for hair metal there's some moments and we'll talk about that few and far between but anyway <laughs> you know here at Guns N' Roses are a big deal and I know Metallica and, and GNR were friends and especially Slash and, and all of that and I know they weren't friends with Bon Jovi I know there's a kind of a story of them playing on the same bill of Monsters of Rock Bill, I think Metallica opened and Bon Jovi flew some helicopter near the stage or something like that. But (laughs) anyway, so they come in uh, and they hire Bob Rock as a producer. Now, Bob Rock is well known at the time as a hit maker, Uh working with Aerosmith and some others. And he is going to turn them into... uh, a hit. And, and I know a lot of people were concerned about that, reading the industry trades of, you know, what's going to happen to Metallica? Are they going to make like three minute songs or what, what's going on? Right. I think they found a very good balance. Yeah. yeah. The, they, they Apparently they did get a little shit from their 
diehard fans, right? Because oh, of course. This, this album oh, veered a, a little bit yes, from, was a big sellout. Yeah. from what uh, what they were used to. But uh, yeah, they had to remix it three times and, you know, it was expensive because it took them over a year to, to record. But... Hey, it, it paid off. It certainly did. They yeah. had multiple hits off that album. Right. So, and it went number one right away, just yeah. about everywhere in the world. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. This 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 is a big moment. This is a big moment in rock history. So we already played Enter Sandman, uh, which yeah. is, you know, the song from it. But boy, wow, there's many good songs to play on that album. But I think in honor of the rock and roll librarian reads, since the graphic novel is called Nothing Else Matters, <laughs> let's play Nothing Else Matters. Okay, that sounds good. And nothing else matters Trust I seek and I find in you Every day for us something new Open mind for a different view And nothing else matters Again, you're not getting the full effect of the song, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play a little of the chorus there so uh, you could get that. Yeah. And actually, that to, to the point of that this was the one that went mainstream, that's a song I actually remember hearing on the radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there were several. I mean, uh, Enter Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, and I think The Unforgiven also ended up getting radio play. Mm-hmm. Maybe even Sad But True, if I remember right, So, or Wherever I May Roam. So those were the big songs on it so wow what do you choose from they're just they're you know they're they're, that was a big giant record yeah 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 and uh you know where do you go from there so i don't know apparently they all went to gack town around then that's one of my favorite (laughs) quotes from the book because there's like we all went to gack town around then and there's a little asterisk and a footnote saying that means a cocaine induced state all of the time so, you know, I had never heard that phrase before. Uh, I had. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's because you were in Gacktown. Uh, yeah, I've been to Gacktown several times, so <laughs> don't care to go back. No, no. Not these days. So. No. Anywho, well, uh, that was the height of their career. And uh, where does the graphic novel take us after that? Well, uh, see, they toured. They toured with Guns N' Roses, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was a disaster. Yeah, apparently they were. Blame Good Axel. friends. They Axel were kind of was, uh, was a problem with that. Heroes, alter egos around that time. And they had a mutual respect. And they even talked back and forth about who was going to open for whom. And, and they decided that Metallica would open for Guns N' Roses since Axel Rose was always late. Yeah, whatever. And there was no point in having him go on first. But apparently he turned out to be quite a megalomaniac on that tour. I don't, I don't know what Megalomaniac? I think that's too small of a word oh, for okay. that guy. <laughs> Huge alomaniac. <laughs> um, he could give Donald Trump a run for his yeah, money. Yeah, he did a lot of, you know, prima donna 
kind of stuff and melted down and couldn't play and canceled some shows and all well and known kind of things thing. that Axel does. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, he's made a career out of it. Okay. <laughs> I know. I can't believe people still stand by him, but uh, well, I don't know. One um, of the things that happened on that tour. I have no interest in seeing this GNR reformed thing here. Hey, look, uh, I love a Slash and I love what Slash has done. And I think he's a great guitar player. Duff McKagan as well. Steven Adler was a great drummer at his time. I don't know, due to you know his medical issues, he could keep up. But without Izzy Stradlin, to me, it was like, <laughs> there's no guns and roses. So I could care less about seeing a reformed GNR. Well, I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> Since I never saw All right, them. <laughs> so so they go on, uh, and I and I know that now they made this really interesting movie in a, in about 2000, 2001. It was surrounding their album Saint Anger, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, James caught on fire uh, when they were on tour for, well, he was oh, playing Fade right. to Black. And they had to, so he was in the hospital for quite a bit of the time. And in the, in the book that while he's in the hospital, all bandaged up, he reminisces about his Christian science upbringing, about his mother getting cancer. And oh, that's his flashback. Scene yeah, his in the flashback on kind of why Christian science, this religion kind of influenced him so much because it was really hard, you know, watching her not get, you know, the medical yeah, attention. She died of cancer, huh? That's right. Yeah. 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 And then they went on to make, they kind of started reinventing themselves a little. They cut their hair. That was not looked upon, I guess, fondly by a lot of fans. And well, they did. Let's say they did load, reload, yeah, garage ink, and, and all of that. Oh, and then the Napster thing. Yeah, the let's Napster thing was Let's talk a little big. bit about that. Well, um, actually, right before the Napster thing, uh, James went to rehab. James Hetfield went to rehab for many months, and so that really got in the way of them continuing on their uh, recording. But yeah, and this is all in the in the movie, some kind of monster. Right, right. So yeah, the Napster thing, they found out this is in the, of course, the very early ages of the internet and oh they really ruined their reputation by going after Napster yeah they they, it it was a no-win situation you can see that in hindsight but uh, they were not the band to be the poster child to uh, shake their fist uh, at this new form of song sharing yeah or or just you know how to distribute it you know it was you know the whole industry it was rocked by it granted but you know, they didn't embrace it at all. They uh-huh. fought against the entire right. idea of uh, digital sharing. And, and it just, everybody turned out, it, it turned out bad for anybody who did the attacking. And Metallica was one of those best known for doing the attack. Right. And and Dr. Dre apparently was right in there too. Yeah. But I think from the point of view of the book and the people like Lars particularly was kind of at the forefront of the fight. And their point was we were fighting Napster, not the fans, but to be a fan and to have the music, you know, taken away from you that you thought you were going to get, that could definitely be seen as there's these rich guys and they don't want to share. Right. And and well, that's what I came across as. I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, the the change of the guard. It was a world that was changing and, you know, it's, it's disruptive. It's, 
it's the, you know, the internet once again, you know, in fact, that was one of the first industries that were completely disrupted and obliterated and changed. And I think the music industry has now kind of gone through it. They're on the other side of it. I know most artists, especially some of the bigger artists of the past, look down at the the music sharing that exists today, uh, you know, personified by Spotify more than anybody else right. because of how everybody gets paid. But I don't know, it's too complex of an argument to talk about in this format. But right. we as a team will continue to, you know, open up conversation, conversation yeah. about it and, and find, you know, talk about how, how it is. It, it yeah. just is, is the first thing you have to just get used to is that it is a change and it's going to change everything. So Right. Well, I know they now look back on it and say, God, that was really stupid of us to be the yeah. poster children to go after these. So I'm going to play a song that kind of plays into that. And it's called Fuel. <laughs> give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. song uh i played that song too <laughs> and i don't mean on the stereo people i've actually played it anyway jason newstead uh we kind of talked a little bit about that movie some kind of monster um it kind of comes to a head james's uh, addiction issues and going to uh therapy they brought in this uh therapist what was his name dr Ta- towels, towels or something yeah yeah and, uh, and it's all on film to watch. It, to me, it's one of the best rock documentaries of all time. It actually went to Sundance. Yeah. 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 Go, folks, if you want to see the internal workings of a very powerful, big time rock and roll band and how pressure uh, can affect and change you, this is a great movie to look at in that. And luckily, these guys came out on the other side even stronger. So they did lose a member. So talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Well, Jason Newstead basically wanted, you know, to have side projects and the band was not down with that. Yeah, especially James, if I remember right. uh, I think it said in the book, you know, that was like cheating on your wife. You know, you can't, you're either with Metallica or not with Metallica, kind of all for one and one for all. So he decided to leave and went on to do other projects. And then they needed to find a new bass player who they found, uh, Robert True Hilo. Yeah. I have written down here, hotter than hot. (laughs) And I think I meant his bass playing, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, he he's he is a badass bass player, and uh, he is fitting actually into Metallica very nicely. In fact, some of the new stuff that's just starting to come out—they have a new album coming out called Hardwired. And in fact, it's a double album. What we've heard is uh, is actually pretty good, and uh, I think you've got a, a tight knit band uh, now, guys in their fifties that can still kick that high energy 
testosterone fueled rock in the ass. And that is not easy to say. I mean, you know, it's one thing playing the old classic rock and roll uh, and being able to do that into your 70s, like we've seen it. Desert Trip or Old Cella in the last couple of weekends. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. Can somebody like Metallica play like that in their 70s? You know, you know I, I just got lucky to see Black Sabbath, which is, you know, a very early incarnation of this. I mean, the, the tempos aren't where Metallica usually plays at. But, you know, and these guys are in their late 60s and they're calling it quits. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with just the, the physical right. ability right. to keep up with that. This is more like, you know, athletics in right. a lot of ways. And I used to call it that when I was a kid. I used to say, you know, it wasn't an interest to me because it all seemed like, uh, you know, an athletic form of music. And mm-hmm. it is. There, There is a lot of athleticism to it. So. Yeah. I actually saw a video of them playing this the new, newest song that's just come out off this latest album that's not been released yet, but the singles have. Well, let's play it. Yeah. It's called Hardwired. In the name of desperation. To me, that sounds like, you know, some Ride the Lightning, you know, in a uh, new format. That's, uh-huh. That sounds good. Back so. to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see how this album comes out. So. Yeah, I mean, but to your point about the athleticism, I mean, I can just see watching oh, you can hear them it. play. Yeah, you can hear it yeah. just in there. So, yeah. all right. So, what are your final thoughts on, uh, on the book? You know, it's an interesting way to kind of, from a point of view of somebody who doesn't know the band very well it was a nice way to well, we, yeah we expanded your horizons here oh, didn't totally we? i mean you know really and what you have know I been when doing to this? play metallica now it's when you yell at your kids okay <laughs> and i put it on really loud on the speaker so they can tell how i'm feeling that's the main thing the only problem with that is they'll probably dig it themselves and start head bopping well that's okay because you know to tell you the truth the silent treatment is not working with uh, them so all right which well, is my usual way well, here's some new therapy to try. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I like, like I said, the film quality of the book and the way, you know, that you can really see emotions and It's a drama. very quick read, too. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was short after reading um, The Replacements, which was a very good... A tome. The Trouble Boys, which was yes. really good. Yeah. I, I need to, uh, needed to fit in something a little bit shorter, but uh, it was fun. Well, good. Well, good. So you recommend it? Yes. Okay. All right. And, and, and you, you know, you get the general history of Metallica. Yes. And uh, and it's kind of told from their perspective. Right. You get the uh, personalities. It's raw. It's, raw. it's yeah. uh, no holds barred and, uh, and all of that. So, and uh, that's good. Oh, you get to know a little bit about each of them. Yeah. So. It's all fun. Right. It's a fun thing. And I think for fans, it would be really fun because, you know, you see drawings of your, of your heroes and, and them acting out their life like you might have imagined it. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've always tried to be, you know, a real, you know, act. Not a lot of pretenses, uh, trying to be authentic. And that's such an American rock and roll thing. But mm-hmm. uh, they, they definitely fit the bill. And the funny thing is, is, again, you know, if you look back at the history of rock and roll, the guys who have those 
30, 40, 50 year careers, almost all of them were the authentic ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's leave it with uh, one last song. Uh, we'll play the other released single from uh, from Hardwire, Moth into Flame. And with that, hey, everybody, we look forward to seeing the Rock and Roll Library next month. Yep. But until then, keep up the rocking. Keep it up. of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. The Rock and Roll Librarian. Produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.